Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz, on this edition of our podcast. I was joined by Trey Jones of Duke, and this interview was before Duke Carolina. It was after Boston College, but we talked about where this Duke team is at this point in the season, uh, how they're relying much more on their defense, and how everything is for Trey to deal with uh, a Vernon Carey versus a Zion Williamson. Vernon Carey is having a great season, just not getting as much national pub, but really tremendous year for Carey. And uh, this Duke team, uh, obviously, we saw what happened days later at North Carolina. But just great to hear from Trey Jones and his perspective on where Duke is. Also joined by Seton Hall's Miles Powell. This was after their victory at Villanova, the first time since 1994, before any of those players were born, uh, that Villanova lost to Seton Hall in the city of Philadelphia. 17 games in a row they lost to to Villanova Seton Hall did, and that's because they didn't play every season in the city of Philadelphia. But they won, and Miles Powell, I love him. He's tremendous. My pick right now for National Player of the Year, senior, great leader, great perspective, wish him all the best, and so I hope you enjoy that interview. We're going to have, of course, our predictions on the back end of the podcast. And I also was joined by Kevin White, the Men's Basketball Selection Committee Chair, uh, athletic director at Duke. This is coming off the top 16 uh, that was revealed over the weekend of snapshot in time where the committee is at this point. And for our Cats ranks, I'll look at the top 10 teams that weren't in the top 16 that I think eventually could get in the top 16, whether it's a three seed, four seed. If you were in the top 16, the odds are highly unlikely that you could jump up to a one or a two. But, you know, there were 48 teams since they've been doing this in the top 16, and 39 of the 48 have ended up in the top 16 on Selection Sunday. And all the ones and twos stayed in the top 16. So pretty good percentage, the snapshot in time about what has occurred with the uh, Men's Basketball Selection Committee and the bracket. All right, so let's get to it. Our headlines of the week in college basketball. Starting at number five. Jerry Stackhouse has his first SEC win. And the Commodores have their first conference win in over two years. What a ball game. Vanderbilt gets its first win in the SEC in two years. The Commodores stunned LSU 99-90 to end a 26-game SEC losing streak. Saban Lee scored a career-high 33. The win certainly helped ease the burden for new coach Jerry Stackhouse, who was tasked with turning this program around. Headline number four. Five. Baldwin. 
Another week of great performances from across the country. Penn State's Lamar Stevens scored 33 in a win over Minnesota. Butler's Kamar Baldwin hit a three-pointer at the buzzer to beat Villanova. That's what you just heard. Kentucky's Nick Richards scored 27 in a win over Mississippi State. And Seton Hall's Miles Powell, as I just said, he scored 34 in a win over Georgetown and 19 in that win at Villanova to end that 17-game winless streak that dated back to 1994. Oh, and by the way, A.J. Green scored 34 points for a surging and dangerous Northern Iowa in a win over Drake. This is just a sampling of some of the number of top performances that we saw last week in college basketball. Headline number three. Wow, what a game. Mick Cronin standing tall and proud. The Bruin Nation ecstatic. And the big red army of the West here in Tucson is stunned. The best win for Mick Cronin at UCLA in his first year, 65-52 over number 23 Arizona in Tucson. Don't look now, but Mick Cronin has UCLA playing well and had a potential spoiler in the Pac-12. The Bruins, 13-11, 6-5 at the beginning of this week, beat Arizona and Tucson for the fourth time in six games. UCLA limited Arizona to just 25.4% shooting. That's the lowest shooting percentage since the building opened in 1972-73. Cronin's impact on the Bruins took time, but having the players buy into his concepts has proven valuable. They should be a real pest and threat in the back half of the Pac-12 season. Headline number two. Got the miss. Jones, can he get a shot off? Yes! Jones knocks it down to tie the game. A miss, a tap. Jones tipped. Yes! Wendell Moore puts it home for Duke. Duke, North Carolina. There was no reason this should have been a game that delivered what we saw Saturday night. The Blue Devils won in an improbable fashion, forcing overtime on a Trey Jones missed free throw then made shot by him. Then in overtime, winning the game on a Jones miss, an acrobatic putback by Wendell Moore Jr. at the buzzer for the 99, excuse me, 98-96 win. So Duke is in contention for the national title, not just ACC title. North Carolina is having its worst season under Roy Williams, which showed tremendous grit in that game. Look, there's not going to be any postseason for the Tar Heels unless they win the ACC tournament. But, 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 give them a lot of credit for the way they played against Duke. Headline number one of the week in college basketball. We are back in Assembly Hall. The players have been introduced and the moment that the fans have been waiting for about to take place. Bob Knight is returning. Bob Knight returns to Indiana. The iconic Hall of Fame coach, who of course has been polarizing in the state, But he came back to Assembly Hall in Bloomington for the first time in 20 years since he was fired. There had been no indication that he would come back despite previous, you know, we could say invitations, but at least overtures. Various teams have been celebrated, the 76 undefeated team. But he did this time, flanked by his son, Pat, and a number of players from the 70s and 80s and 90s. Knight was received with a loud ovation and applause. The moment was emotional for him. For all his players. And so look. Hopefully this provides closure. For the loyalists. And those who had been against him. In the years after his dismissal. Life is way too short. To hold grudges. And it was just. 
great to see him finally come back and be embraced. And it was the perfect way against Purdue, all those players around him, all the love. At the end of the day, that's the way it should be. Put it aside. No reason to just be bitter, angry for the rest of time. So great moment in college basketball. All right. Those are your five top headlines in college basketball of the week. Trey Jones here from Duke and and Trey, you know, clearly this team's identity, it seems to be on the defensive end. When you guys need to get a stop or change defenses, you can change the direction of a basketball game. In in what way have you seen that identity blossom here in the ACC? Right. Um, I mean, there's been there's been a number of games now that um, we might have come out slow or haven't been moving on the offensive end or can't really find a shot, things like that. And seems like either we put a press on or um, we, we seem to change it up on the defensive end, whether it's going to a zone or um, guarding a certain play or a certain action differently. And it sparks our defense. Um, I mean, there's been games where Jordan has come in, if he's not already in, changed the game up. But we have our bigs blocking shots. It seems like there's a lot of different things that we can we can do on the defensive end that changes the entire game for us. I mean, a year ago, obviously, you had a much different team, bigger team with Zion and RJ at, at times. Uh, how would you compare the way this team has to win defensively versus maybe last year's? Right. Um, I think it's completely different. Um, I mean, last year, the athleticism we had, um, it seemed like we could fall asleep on plays and were able to recover. Maybe one of us weren't on top of our game that night on the defensive end, and um, we have one of the, one of the other freaks coming out of nowhere, making plays, blocking shots, getting steals, whatever it was. Where this year we all we all know we have to be locked and we all have to have, have each other's backs on the defensive end, or else we will get ex- exposed and um, end up messing up on the defensive end. How would you describe this team's resiliency when you guys have lost and your ability to bounce back pretty quickly? Right. Um, I mean, that's it's been a huge thing for us this year um, early on. Um, we, we stumbled um, at home, and we were able to come back, get some big wins. But then throughout the ACC, we we uh, fumbled a couple as well, and we were able to bounce back from that. But uh, I mean, it's, it's really how how you how you bounce back and learn from those lessons, um, especially early on in the year and throughout the ACC play. You, you have another game where at the end of the year, that's it. So trying to learn learn, learn those lessons and. Um, I mean, a few of us have been through it now, what it's like to lose at the end of the year. So just trying to teach teach the freshmen what it's like, um, what it's like to lose and um, how, how we need to bounce back and not make the same mistakes because at the end of the year, they do come back to bite us. You know, it's crazy. A year ago, you played with multiple National Player of the Year candidates. You played with one that won it in Zion Williamson. Vernon Carey is a National Player of the Year candidate. It seems like nationally, not getting either the hype, the stress, the pressure, uh, I mean, how would you describe the way he has played the season and in, in, in a way to where he is a candidate for that award? Right. Um, I mean, to be honest, just me being here last year with those guys, uh, I feel like if those guys weren't here last year and it was just another normal recruiting class and Vern came in this year and having the year he is having, I feel like he will be getting that attention and will be getting talked about as the national player of the year. But um I mean, obviously the tension's not the same with those guys being gone now, but, I mean, we we just got to keep playing. Um, he knows he has to just keep playing, keep um, dominating how he has been and how he knows he can be. We got to keep playing off of him and winning. Um, I really think winning um, sets you all up for, for winning those, those awards. So um, I know on the inside we're not really worried about those awards. We don't really talk about them, but 
Um, on the outside, I definitely think he, he should be the lead, leading candidate for that. And, and Trey, just overall this season, we've had multiple number one teams. It feels wide open, but you guys are clearly one of those teams that can win it. I mean, how would you describe what this season has felt like, whether it's in your games or what you've seen nationally? Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's much different this year for sure. Um, I feel like it's much more balanced this year. There's not uh, a few powerhouses and then uh, a drop off uh, from teams. So I think just with how balanced it is right now, we got to keep um, improving our things, um, keep learning from whatever mistakes we're making throughout um, the games and things like that. So by the end of the year and by tournament time, we're ready to make the run for it. Appreciate it, Trey. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Andy. Seton Hall's Miles Powell here after a massive road win at Villanova. The first time that Seton Hall has knocked off Villanova in Philadelphia since 1994, before you or any of your teammates were born. You told me before the game you were going to make some history. How'd you do it? I mean, like I said, I told you before, I feel like our team, everybody was locked in, our coaching staff. Since we went at Georgetown on Wednesday, everybody was, was ready to move on and lock into the Villanova team. So, I mean, uh, the game plan, we came out. I feel like we followed it good. Just tried to slow down Colin and um, Sadiq. And uh, I feel like we did a good job. You had 4,930 left. How did your team maintain the lead? I mean, um, just sticking together. That's, that's the best thing about this group. Uh, everybody believes in each other. Um, and it doesn't matter who, who does it on the floor. It's just everybody wants it to get done. And when you have a group of guys that buy in, and just want to do whatever the team needs for the team to win, you kind of find yourself up on top. So, I mean, um, we're rolling right now. And um, like I said, it doesn't matter who's doing it as long as it's getting done. How do you explain that you guys have won six road games in this league? We're battle-tested. I mean, um, Coach knew he was doing when he was setting up our, our non-conference this year. Um, and I just feel like it's not much any other team can throw at us that we haven't seen this year. And, I mean, um, I didn't see double teams, boxing ones, denied. And coaches keep coming up with game plans for us to – to just keep keep moving, keep succeeding. So, I mean, um, like I said, it doesn't matter how it's getting done or who's doing it. If I'm scoring or Sandro had a big 17 points today, I mean, he hasn't even really got back into his flow. For him to come out and do that, I mean, that was huge for us. So, like I said, we're going to just keep coming out, keep playing Seton Hall basketball and just see where it takes us. I know it was hard for you to miss so many games when you had the concussion-like symptoms. I think you had an ankle. Uh, but this team got better yeah. without you, and now you're back, obviously, at full strength. What did you see from the sideline when you were out that this team has clearly uh, improved on? Well, I said it before. Um, I feel like me getting that concussion and me having to sit out those two games, that was the best thing that could have happened to this group. Um, I feel like every, when that happened, everybody just, I mean, it's the same, put their big boy pants on. And I feel like everybody stepped up. Um, everybody figured out their role in that time. Everybody knows what they need to do to win. And I feel like us getting that Maryland win, Without me, it just boosted everybody's confidence. And um, that's all you really need is confidence in this game. It takes you a, far, a long way. And um, like I said, we're playing Seton Hall basketball right now. When you came back for this season, how did you envision it playing out? Uh, this, everything, Honestly, everything that's going on right now, coach told me it was going to happen. And um, I feel like that's why our relationship is so close because every promise he made to me, he kept. And I feel like when you get recruited by different teams and of I mean, different colleges and um, – I feel like that's what coaches sell other kids' dreams, and um, that's how you see kids transferring from here, transferring there, not playing here. Everything coach told me that if I was to come back from my senior year, everything has happened. I mean, we're one of the best teams in the country. Um, he told me I was going to be one of the best players in the country. I feel like I am the best player in the country. Uh, we're winning right now. Everything's rolling good. Um, we're making, we're making, we're breaking history. We're making history. 
Um, I mean, the list goes on. Everything we're doing, and it's it's still so much season. <clears throat> excuse me, it's still so much season left. Um, like you never know what's going to happen. So I mean, if I can go back and make the decision, I'll do it all over again. How much in the way in which you guys exited the NCAA tournament last year? How much did that eat at you in the off season? I mean, it, it did a lot because we felt like we could have played better. I mean, Walford was a great team, but I feel like um, we just got bad seating. I mean, um, they, like I said, they were a great team. Uh, I think we were kind of looking forward ahead a little bit because we knew if we would have beat them, we would play Kentucky next. Uh, we want to get another shot at Kentucky. Um, just little things like that that went into it. But, I mean, um, Villanova left a bad taste in our mouth when they beat us last year in the championship. And, um I feel like all summer, that's all guys were just talking about. Like, man, we could have been Big East champs. Man, we could have been Big East champs. And I feel like that edge that we came in here with today, I felt like the Big East championship, that was that was in the back of our minds. I just reminded them guys of how they had us crying last year in the locker room and that feeling. And um, I'm like, why not? Let's just go make some history today. And I feel like that's what we did. There's no way you could have ended your college career with that first round exit. I, I don't see I, I knowing you I don't see how that would have been possible yeah, that's what I'm saying if you know me you know I'm playing for something special so I mean like you just said I, I definitely wanted to come back I felt like it was unfinished business and I feel like everything that I, I can accomplish I'm, I'm coming for so when you look back at the summer what do you think you worked on the most that is paying off now just being a leader I mean um not worry worry about how many points I can score or trying to compare my points to somebody else's points or just little things like that. It's like I just realized that I can be so much more than just a scorer. Uh, if the guys need me to get a defensive stop, if they need to hear my voice, if anything that need me to dive on the floor, I'm just willing to do it because I know that this is my last go around. I just, I just want to give the, the university my all. And one last thing, uh, in college basketball, you know, I know there are problems, things that can be cured and various things, but in terms of what you can get out of it, how much can you look back, and we'll see what happens in the next five weeks, about what this experience can be if you maximize it the way you have been able to? I mean, the sky's the limit. I mean, uh, college basketball, is it brings so much joy to my life. Um, like you said, if I, if I had a chance to go back over and do four more years, I'd do it all over again. So, I mean, I'm just going to cherish this moment. I'm living in a moment right now. I kind of never wanted to end, but, I mean, I know it's coming to an end soon, but we're going to keep playing hard, and we're going to keep – we're going to keep reaching for our goal, and that's the national championship. Thanks, Miles. Thank you. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. And welcome, everyone, to the latest edition of Katz Ranks. I'm Andy Katz here at NCAA.com and March Madness. All right, for this week's edition, we're looking at the top 10 teams that did make the cut for the Men's Basketball Selection Committee's top 16 that certainly can crack the 16 over the next final few weeks of the regular season. All right, starting at number 10. Arizona. The Wildcats had a tough loss at home over the weekend to UCLA, but if the Wildcats were to regroup, win the Pac-12 regular season, win the Pac-12 tournament, they certainly could climb up to a top four line seed. At number nine, staying in the Pac-12, Colorado. Uh, The Buffaloes still have plenty of high-profile games within the conference, a legitimate shot to still win the Pac-12 regular season and the Pac-12 tournament title. And if Colorado, which owns that win over Dayton, that's going to loom large when we get to March. Uh, that certainly could help Colorado if they're able to take care of business uh, in the Pac-12. That's something that Arizona doesn't have that Colorado does. I mean, they don't. They just have a better non-conference win with that neutral court win over Dayton in Chicago. At number eight, Michigan. 
Wolverines now have split the season series with Michigan State. They still have that battle for Atlantis. Championship win over Gonzaga. And if the Wolverines can continue to climb back up near the top of the Big Ten standings, then they have a chance, certainly, to be on a top four line. At number seven, Ohio State. I know you're saying, okay, Ohio State had this miserable stretch in the Big Ten, but Ohio State go back to their non-conference. Win over neutral court against Kentucky. Win at home over Villanova. Win over North Carolina when they were healthy with Cole Anthony, and that was on the road. So if Ohio State were to go on a run here toward the back end of the Big Ten, win the Big Ten tournament uh, by beating you know, some of the top teams that are ahead of them in the Big Ten, then they certainly would have a chance to be on a top four-line scene. And most, for the most part, we're talking about the four-line here in the back part of that 16. At number six, Creighton. The Blue Jays are in a second-place tie uh, or achieved that over the weekend in the Big East. Um, and look, if Creighton were to win the Big East tournament, uh, they've got a great shot to certainly be somewhere in that four-line grouping. At number five, LSU. The Tigers have lost a lot of close games. Uh, Now, if LSU were able to regroup after losing to Auburn and win the SEC, uh, win the SEC tournament, then they have a legitimate shot to climb back up into that four line. Now let's go into a couple teams that I think could climb a little bit higher than the four line, maybe the three line, depending on what happens in the final few weeks. At number four, Illinois. Uh, Illinois certainly has looked the part at times like they should be in the top 16. And if they were to finish high in the Big Ten, they would have a chance. Iowa, same deal. Iowa has some great wins, some bad losses in terms of margin of defeat, margin of victory. They have a legitimate shot. But these next two teams, I think these next two teams certainly could climb higher than a four, higher than a three, maybe even a two, depending on what happens ahead of them. That might be reaching a little bit. At number two, Penn State legitimately has a shot to be a three seed based on what they've done in the Big Ten, what's ahead of them. If the Nittany Lions continue to play as well as they are right now, maybe finish even second in the Big Ten, they have a great shot to be on that three line. Who knows what happens ahead of them? Maybe a two. Three probably the best case scenario. And at number one on my list of the top ten teams that have a chance to crack the top 16, it's Kentucky. The Wildcats certainly look the part at times like they should be at least on the two line. And if they are to play well down the stretch in the SEC, win the SEC outright, win the SEC tournament, I could certainly see Kentucky on that two line, maybe a three, and at the very least, a four. So keep an eye out for the Wildcats. Those are my top ten teams for Cats ranks that didn't make the original cut of the mid-February Men's Basketball Selection Committee Top 16 Reveal. Andy Katz with NCAA.com and March Madness with Kevin White, the Duke Athletic Director and the Chair of the 2020 Men's Basketball Selection Committee. And Kevin, now that we know the Top 16 at this point in February, mid-February, for the 2020 Men's Basketball uh, Tournament, a couple questions first that jumped out at me. Number one, on the one line, uh, the three, four of the one line, Gonzaga, San Diego State. Why Gonzaga over San Diego State? You know, Andy, that uh, that discussion uh, 
was probably the the longest discussion of our group. And, and we've got a terrific committee. We've got six ADs and four conference commissioners. And I know you know that. Uh, plus an incredible NCA staff. And we labored over that one. That, this one is is really razor thin. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, the Zags lost early on a neutral to Michigan. And, uh, and of course, uh, San Diego State's unblemished uh, it, and have had some great wins uh, away from home. Uh, but when you look at the, uh, you know, the metrics and everything else, uh, the Zags kind of just won this one by a smidgen. Again, at this point in time, uh, we'll have to see what the rest of the season brings. And by the way, there are like 1,500 games yet to be played. Yeah, the other number ones, Baylor and Kansas. Um, so two from the Big 12, one from the WCC, one from the Mountain West. How many other teams were in consideration for that top line at this time? I think I can say, honestly, there weren't any others. I mean, I think the, the consensus was around those four and trying to determine the right order for that, for that, that group of four. Uh, all, each and every one of them was very deserving uh, to be, a, uh, be on the number one seed line and, um, and had uh, the committee's absolute full attention for the three days we were together in Indy. When you look at this 16, what else jumped out at you uh, at this point in time with this collection of 16 teams? You know, one of the things that, uh, that caught my attention, there are nine conferences represented uh, in this group of 16. And I think a year ago, that number was something like six conferences. And I think since we've kind of kept keep, been keeping score uh, in recent years at this point in the season, which is, and this is the fourth year that we'll have the preview, uh, you know, it, it's been more like six conferences. Um, so when you take a look at that, it really speaks to parity. A lot of really good players and a lot of really good teams. How does this reveal help you guys in terms of preparation for the real champ week and selection week? You know, it, it kind of gets you back in the play. Uh, you you kind of get rusty. Uh, you're not behind that computer all day, and, and all of a sudden now you're back. And, uh, and so for the eight returnees that are in the room, I, I think it's incredibly helpful. And for the, for the, new, the two new people that just came onto the committee, it's, pri- it's invaluable. It's priceless. Uh, but it's a great opportunity to kind of team play, get your heads around it, and kind of take a good hard look at, at, the, at the, the task at hand. And the task is, at hand is very simply to get it right. Principles. There's always principles at play in certainly bracketing. Um, but what principles might have been in play even in this process or even what you think might play out uh, next month? You know, it's hard to, to kind of forecast what might play out as we go through the remainder of the season, five weeks. But I can tell you, uh, as we went through this process with the 16 that we're talking about, uh, I was amazed. It, it, it kind of bracketed itself pretty cleanly. Um, you know, we, we had to make an adjustment um, for a balance, regional balance purposes, and, um, and, and that caused us to take an SEC team and, and relocate them, uh, again, in this exercise, uh, to the south region. And the, the counter move to that was to take a Midwest team and put them in Indianapolis. It actually worked out very well. All right, Kevin, uh, as we look at the top 16, a couple things jumped out at me, and I, and I know this changes over the weekend even as you guys put this out for Saturday. But at, at this juncture uh, in time, in early February, there were two Big Ten teams in Maryland and Michigan State, uh, a league that 
you know, certainly has had by far maybe the best season. Uh, I'm curious, just when you guys were looking at this, how how'd you decide, you know, basically only for two at this point of the top 16? You know, Andy, I, I think I can um, safely and adequately uh, or accurately, perhaps better said, uh, say that um, – you know, we don't look at this by conference. And, boy, the Big Ten has had one heck of a great run this year to this point, uh, a great a great season. Um, but it, when you take a look at the institutions uh, on their own merit, this is the way it fell across uh, the 10-member voting uh, cohort, uh, the 10 members that serve on this committee. Um, so that, that that's where it's at. But, again, subject to change. There's five weeks left. So let's look at your league. Um, the ACC, because I think this is a great point, and I keep saying this. And people say, oh, how can the ACC only get three or four? And, you know, the reality is there's still a lot of work to do, but help me educate other people that it doesn't matter what league they're from, that if in a season, and this has happened before in other power leagues, if we get to a point where only three or four deserve to go or make the cut, then that's what happens, and it's sometimes a cyclical. Uh, how do you look at it? Well, I, I, you just answered your question. It's cyclical. It really is, Andy, to be honest with you. And, and I don't know that I have the right syntax for this, but as I look at this from my, you know, my longstanding prism, that's code for an older guy, uh, it, I think the teams have to be looked at as independent contractors. I mean, they're not part of a consortia. They don't get consortia credit here. And, um, and again, that's the way they're evaluated. And, you know, this exercise in Indy for the last three days produced 16, and that's the way it fell. So this is a good point, and I think back to two years ago in the Big Ten. Nebraska had 13 wins. Twelve of those 13 were against schools that weren't in the field. And at the time, they're like, hey, we finished fourth. How can we not be in? Because we're in the Big Ten, but you have to peel back the record. And we're in a year where in the Big Ten and the Big East, for example, you have multiple quad one opportunities. Uh, in other leagues, you may not this season. Uh, how hard has it been sometimes for coaches to get that, that sometimes – you're just going to have more chances because you've got better teams in a particular season. I'm not sure I can speak for the coaches uh, for that specific community, but uh, you know I think there's two sides to that. There's one side of the ledger if you're on the outside looking in, and or if you've been you think you've earned an advantage and you're on the inside looking out. So I, I really can't speak to the specifics of that, but. Uh, you know, that this is an earnest group that, that uh, I'm very fortunate to be involved with. This is my fifth year. And uh, by the way, we have not only a great committee, again, I already said this, but we have six ADs, four conference commissioners, but we got Danny Gavitt. I mean, Danny Gavitt is senior vice president for basketball at the NCA, and he's been there now seven years, and he's got Joanne Scott, and he's got a team of people, many of which have been there for double decades, that really work at this thing. And this is a 52-week-a-year proposition. Of course, the ball goes up on November the 5th and it all gets started. But these guys are working 12 months a year on this stuff. And, and we're, we're in a pretty strong position taking a look at, at past practices, principles, procedures, protocol, and trying to get it right. But also, um, I think what I'm saying is that there are plenty of teams that have opportunities. In some leagues, more of them than others. And, and it gets to the point that a lot of teams aren't dead yet, that there's plenty of chances and sometimes there's just more chances in in certain leagues in a particular year than others that's the reality of the game that's what makes this whole thing magical uh it it gives opportunity for for uh, what people call and you as you as a member of the media mid-majors to to kind of 
to become upwardly mobile. Uh, it's terrific. That's what makes this thing the best sporting event in our country, if not the world. You know, so getting back to the, the one seeds in Gonzaga and San Diego State this weekend, going into the weekend, we're on that one line. Um, you know, I think this is a great example. We've seen it before, St. Joe's. Uh, you know, we've seen other schools from non-power leagues get there. What does that tell you? That basically, if you win and play a good schedule, good chance you got a chance to get to that one line. I think that's exactly what it says. And you know, it's uh, it really does come down to. Uh, who you played, uh, you know, where you played, and did you win? I mean, it really comes down to those three things, and uh, and I, th- that's never going to change. On the one line, what has changed though with with the the overall one? And I don't like saying getting a say in where they go, but how can you sort of explain that? Because I've heard that being uttered that if you're the overall one now, you you can at least sort of pick your spot. It's not necessarily them picking you how does that work you know that's been that's been in play for a long time it's it's part of the principles and procedures and i like to think when we talk about principles and procedures that that those are rules and regs that have broad uh support and i've had broad support for a long time of course if they were not broadly supported they would be tweaked and uh but that's 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 always been in play in place as far as i know right but no one's making like a phone call and saying hey where do you want to go I, no, the NCA does ask the people that have the opportunity uh, uh, to, to be in a position like that or, or where they suspect they're going to have an opportunity to be in a position like that, where, would, where might your preference be? The NCA does do a, a reach out and, and talks to the institutions in that regard. It doesn't mean it can be accommodated, but at least that conversation actually does take place. But I guess I want to make sure there wasn't like – uh, literally as you're building it. It's in advance, right? Oh, it's way in advance. Yeah, yeah. Way in advance. Yeah, yeah, I just want to clear that up. It wasn't like literally the brackets no. on the board. No. Hey, I just got off the phone with, no. No. you know, Baylor, Duke, whatever. No, that's pre- uh, preseason. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, in terms of trying to get teams closer, uh, the mileage, I mean, how much does that play in when you're building this bracket of even if it's neg- negligible about how close it is? You know, it's a, it's a huge factor. It's, it's the driving factor. And it, you only kind of make accommodations to move away from that uh, variable uh, when you have, you know, multiple schools from the same conference and or uh, repeat playing situations. And, but there's only, you know, there's only a couple of different caveats that would cause you to kind of rethink that. Other than that, it's, it's mileage driven so the other thing when i've been building brackets and there were a couple times it was unavoidable to have rematches uh how much does that come into play with you guys where you know there if it's a 116 or some of those where sometimes you just can't avoid it because of the bracketing if they played back in november or december you know, Andy, I, I think you've just responded to that one as well. I mean, you, sometimes you can't avoid it. I mean, so you have to do what, what, what you can do. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, you, you've got to be really careful not to kind of reach in and do things ad hocly. And, and we don't, uh, quite frankly, because what you would do is create a cascading effect. And, and uh, there would be some negative implications for, you know, for, uh, unintended implications for a, another institution. And so you know, we really trade try to stay very true to those you know those principles and procedures and they've been in place for decades so one last thing kevin because i obviously you know how i trust your opinion on this and not to date you here but you are one of the deans of the athletic directors you have an athletic director family um the health of the game i still think like what we saw last week with kamar baldwin you know buzzer beater to knock off villanova crowd going crazy at hinkle as long as we get that, competitive games, we don't need a buzzer beater all the time, but the name in the front of the jersey, 
it's going to still be the best sporting event on the American calendar. How, how would you sort of rate the health of the game as we get closer uh, to the tournament? You know, I, I think the game is, uh, it is at a fever pitch. It's never been more popular. The ratings are crazy. Uh, there's so many kids that can play, uh, so many really good teams. Uh, I, I, I love where, where we're trending. Uh, are there things we can do better? I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are a myriad of things that, that we should probably slow down and think about. And I suspect Danny Gavitt is doing that. Uh, and uh, NABC and, and other entities notwithstanding the NCA but but really you know that it's uh it, it is the best sporting event in the world i mean there's uh there's a lot of a lot of good reason for our country in this world to kind of get really into the next you know into the month of march and, and early april because it's pure escapism and it's the best entertainment on the planet and it will be for uh, time memorial in my opinion thanks kevin thank you Now here on March Madness 365, Chad Aycock from Turner Sports. And uh, Chad, we had an unbelievable week in college basketball. A uh, lot of crazy games. Uh, and what happened, I know, in my predictions last week, it really epitomizes the week we've had, the season we've had in college basketball, which is it's incredibly difficult to predict. Uh, how bad did I do? Ah, it wasn't that bad. You know, you went six and six. You actually ended up. Oh, see, I thought I did worse than that. No, you ended up on a four-game winning streak to end the week. You you started off brutal, but you were two and six, and then you won your last four to go six and six. Oh, all right, all right. Yeah, not bad. I, I yeah, I thought I was trending into like a two and ten week. Uh, you were trending that way, but you ended up right in the ship. No, but last week home road, it didn't really matter. You know, you thought Arkansas would win at home. Uh, they didn't. Same thing, Michigan State. They lost to Penn State. Uh, a lot of just crazy games. You know, that Nova Butler game was crazy. Shout out to Kamar Baldwin. Uh, you know, but the ones you got right, you know, you got the Michigan game uh, when they beat Michigan State. You got the Auburn over LSU game. Uh, Seton Hall won at Villanova. That was a great pick. The Duke-UNC First game. First time since 94. Yeah, big history there. Uh, Duke-UNC was absolutely crazy. I don't know if you deserve to get that one right the way Duke <laughs> came back, but hey, it counts as a win here. Uh, but Colorado beat Stanford, and then Gonzaga just just absolutely rolled St. Mary's. I thought St. Mary's would put up a, be- a better fight than that, but uh, no, not as bad as we initially thought. All right, all right, good, 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 good. So, I, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, we'll jump right into it, though. Tuesday, you've got Penn State at Purdue. Two teams trending up. Uh, Penn State's riding that six-game win streak, and Purdue just hammered Iowa uh, and then got another win against Indiana last week. So who do you have winning this Big Ten game? Well, this is tough again, but... I, I'm sorry, I can't pick against Purdue at Mackey Arena. The fact that they've lost games there this season, that to me is a total outlier. Uh, and so as well as Penn State is playing, they're playing with house money essentially right now because, you know, they already won at Michigan State. I mean, that was a total gift that no one saw us coming. Uh, so I'm going to go with Purdue to win this game at home and basically help themselves get into the NCAA tournament. Okay, then we've got Rhode Island at Dayton. This is a big-time battle on the A-10, easily the best two teams in the league. Uh, we already know you know, how good Dayton is, but Rhode Island, they're 10-1 and one in the league. They've won 10 in a row. Uh, Andy, who you got winning this one? So I love this team. Saw them earlier in the season uh, against Alabama way back in November. They won that game. Love Fats Russell, uh, one of the better uh Point guards in the country, really, he's got great speed. But, 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 um, and you got the Toppin brothers, by the way, going against each other in this game. They play twice, and I'm really looking forward. I'm going to catch the back-end game at URI in early March. 
Uh, I love these two teams, but I love Dayton at home. And I know we're going to get to this in a couple of weeks. I think Rhode Island can get them and split the series, depending on how this game goes. But I'm going to go with Dayton at home. Okay, I like that pick. Now you've got Michigan State at Illinois. You know, it's not often that Michigan State and Illinois both lose at home in the same week. Uh, you know, they're both looking for a bounce back win. So who comes out on top? Boy, I think this is maybe the most difficult game of the week to pick because I would normally say Illinois for sure because Michigan, you know, expect Michigan State to win on the road in a tough environment. But Illinois now will feel desperate because they lost at home to Maryland. Michigan State completely trending in the wrong direction. They've not been able to pick up any kind of break lately in terms of any breather within their schedule because the Big Ten is so brutal. So I, I got to go with Illinois here. I just think, I, once again, I can't see them losing another home game uh, after losing at home to Maryland. It, it's just difficult for me to grasp. And I said this, um, you know, and a lot of people when I was at the Villanova-Seton Hall game, they felt the same way. There's no way Villanova's going to lose two home games in a row after losing to Creighton. It certainly can happen. Illinois could be beaten by... Michigan State, but I just don't see it in this instance. I think Illinois avenges the earlier loss to Michigan State in East Lansing and gets this one. Yeah, Michigan State's not playing well enough right now to have faith for the, uh, with them winning in Champaign. Uh, let's look at Wednesday night. Creighton at Seton Hall. You know, we've got two of the best teams in the Big East right here. Uh, is it safe to assume Seton Hall defends home court, though? Yes. Uh, Seton Hall is playing some of the best basketball in the country. I think of any team uh, that you know, was not on the top two lines when the Sweet 16 or top 16 was revealed by the Men's Basketball Selection Committee that could climb up to a two or a one, it's Seton Hall. I think they have the best chance to get into that, you know, top eight of any of the threes and fours that we saw over the weekend. And they're playing so well right now. Miles Powell right now is the National Player of the Year. We'll see if he can hold that. So as well as Creighton is playing, uh, I like Seton Hall at home to continue to really extend their lead in the Big East. Yeah, I agree. Kansas at West Virginia. Now, for me, this one's pretty crucial for just the overall Big 12 race. You know, Kansas, they're currently one game back of Baylor, but a loss, you know, the Mountaineers, that could really just throw a wrench in, you know, their Big 12 title hopes. So who do you have winning in Morgantown? So I've got West Virginia. Kansas has actually struggled in Morgantown over the last five years. Uh, It's been one sort of, you know, hot spot for them that they've had a hard time in the Big 12. And I think, once again, the Mountaineers are going to have some desperation in them after losing badly to Oklahoma over the weekend. I like West Virginia to take out Kansas and, in a way, really almost hand the Big 12 championship uh, to Baylor. Yeah, like you said, even last year when West Virginia, you know, probably one of the worst West Virginia teams we've seen in a while, they were able to get Kansas at home last year. So we'll see what happens uh, on Wednesday. Now, Alabama at Auburn. Alabama snapped a three-game losing streak, you know, over the over the weekend with an overtime win at UGA. But Auburn's only lost two games all season, but one of them was a blowout loss at Alabama. Are we looking at sweep or are we looking at revenge? Revenge. Auburn at home got an unbelievable atmosphere. Uh, I love the way this team is playing. I think ultimately they will win the SEC uh, because of the game they beat Kentucky in. So I'm going to go with Auburn to take out its rival Alabama and get the season split. All right, and here's another uh, Big East battle. Marquette at Villanova. Both teams, part of that little three-way tie we've got going on for second in the Big East. Uh, But Villanova's, they've lost two in a row at home. Can Marquette make that three in a row for Villanova? Well, it would be four in a row overall. Uh, You know, 
because they lost obviously to Butler on the road at the buzzer. So, you know, are they going to pick, are they going to have that kind of massive slide? No. Marquette has played well on the road, much better. Uh, I love Marcus Howard, you know, going off against Villanova at times, but I, once again, desperation for Villanova. They've got to get this game. I say they do. Yeah, even that game at Marquette earlier in the season, you know, Marcus Howard was in foul trouble and Marquette still found a way to win. So we'll see what happens uh, this time at Villanova. Now, Thursday night, you've got Iowa at Indiana. And this one's kind of tricky for me because, you know, Iowa's been so inconsistent on the road. You know, Purdue hung 104 on them last week. Uh, but nothing about Indiana really inspires confidence either. So, you know, who do you have winning this game? I'm going to go Iowa. Uh, Indiana of the 12 Big 12, excuse me, of the 12 Big 10 teams in contention. Uh, right now, Indiana is trending out. Uh, with Minnesota just right behind them, I and mean, Purdue's trending in. So Indiana, even though this is a desperate situation for them, even though it's hard to trust Iowa on the road right now because of the way they played um, against Purdue, Luca Garza is going to be an incredible tough matchup for the Hoosiers again. Uh, and uh, I like Iowa in this matchup on Thursday night. Yeah, if Indiana was playing any better at all, I might have a little faith in picking Indiana. But yeah, right now I'd side with Iowa as well. Uh, also Thursday night, you've got Colorado at Oregon. These are the current uh, top two teams in the Pac-12 standings. Uh, so who's your winner in Eugene? So I'm going to continue my trend of desperation here. And as well as the Buffs are playing, they had to come from behind to beat Stanford on Saturday night. Oregon loses a Civil War game to Oregon State. It's hard for me to see the Buffs going into Oregon and winning this game. Another desperation game for the Ducks if they want to stay in contention and win the Pac-12 you know, this will be a very tough road trip for Colorado to try to get the split because the Beavers are playing well. Uh, but, you know, I, I I just it's hard for me to see them getting the first one on Thursday night. I'm going with the Ducks to hold serve at home. Yeah, I like to pick it's, it. It You know, every week we do this, we look at all these games and there seems like, you know, a handful of games that there's no doubt this team's not going to lose at home and then it happens. So we'll just we'll just have to see. Uh, but Saturday. You've got West Virginia at Baylor. Just tough week for West Virginia. I mean, Kansas and Baylor in the same week is is just as rough as it gets. Uh, do you think Baylor remains perfect in the Big 12? And then also, can they just run the table here in the Big 12? they got a great chance to do it. And I love the fact that Baylor gets West Virginia after West Virginia has to play Kansas. Whether they win or lose, that's going to beat them up. Baylor and Waco, it's going to be a, just an amazing atmosphere there. Uh, everyone's all in for the Bears. I like Baylor to hold at home and to really increase their lead in the Big 12. Yeah, and looking at the rest of their schedule, you know, they go at Oklahoma, uh, they get Kansas at home, uh, they'll get Texas Tech at home, and then they'll end the season at West Virginia. Which one of those games, I guess, really strikes you as where they could they could slip up in the Big 12? At West Virginia. Uh, Morgantown, very difficult place to win. They've got the front court to, to really you know compete with Baylor. So that would be the spot. All right. Now, we've also got Illinois at Rutgers. Rutgers kind of started hot right in the Big Ten, but they've kind of trailed off a little bit uh, lately. Any chance they can get back on track at home? Yeah, I, I think Rutgers wins at home, continues to be undefeated at the rack, splits the season series with Illinois. Remember, that game was in the 50s, and Illinois really had to struggle to beat Rutgers in Champaign. Uh, Rutgers had to, yes, come back to beat Northwestern at home uh, on Sunday night, but I think Illinois, same kind of thing like with West Virginia, you're going to have to play Michigan State at home, which is going to be a war. Okay, then you got to go to Rutgers, and they make everything incredibly difficult for you. So this is going to be a brutal physical week that will take its toll on Illinois. But I like Rutgers at home against Illinois. 
All right, and keeping in that same trend, just brutal weeks. Uh, you know, Michigan State they go, you know, at Illinois, and then now they're home against Maryland. Uh, you know, it just feels like a game Michigan State has to win to have a chance at that Big Ten regular season title. So will they get that win Saturday night against Maryland? Yes, because if they lose it, Maryland may win it outright by a couple of games. Uh, but I, I just have a feeling this will be a Breslin Center type atmosphere. Desperation, the word of the day here uh, for the Spartans. They'll have, you know, a few days to deal with this after what I'm saying could be a loss on Tuesday night. So I think those practices, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, will be brutal. He'll have those guys amped up. This will be a do-or-die situation for the Spartans and to reset their season with a win at home over Maryland. Yeah, I agree. Now here's our you know weekly check-in with San Diego State, 24-0 and after a, after a win at Air Force. This week they're home against New Mexico, then they're at Boise State, Boise State kind of feels like their last chance to to slip up, you know, maybe Nevada in the season finale. But overall, you know, they should pick up two two wins here, correct? Yes, I will stay consistent. San Diego State will run the table in the regular season. If they lose, it'll be at the Mountain West Conference Tournament. Which, by the way, you know what we haven't talked about? Because of, like, some sort of convention in Las Vegas, uh, and this has not gotten much national pub, the Mountain West Tournament is actually the week before the season, kind of like the Big Ten from two seasons ago. Right. So the Mountain West Conference final will be on March 7th. And uh, it's interesting. So San Diego State and Gonzaga, by the way, which will be uh, on, uh, so that's the, the, the March 10th, they end on that Tuesday night, assuming they're in the final. San Diego State and Gonzaga are going to have a long break, assuming they both play in that championship game, before they play their first round NCAA tournament game. It has not really affected Gonzaga uh, over the last few seasons because they've gone deep in the tournament. Let's see how it, you know, how the Aztecs deal with that as they're going to be either a one or a two seed. So interesting thing to keep an eye on as we get into March. Yeah, a little bit of extra rest certainly doesn't hurt with the grind of the season, but it could throw them off their rhythm. Uh, last thing I'm going to give you, Andy, Friday night, Valentine's Day. You got any big plans? Uh, I'll actually be on a flight <laughs> heading to uh, the Georgetown Butler game on Saturday uh, for Fox. Where I'm going to be on the sideline for that. So uh, uh, maybe a lunch instead of a dinner on Friday before I head out. Hey, lunch works. You have to you have to make up the rest in April. Yes. All right, Chad. Well, I appreciate it. I'm pleased, and I guess I wasn't paying attention, that I had a 500 week because I thought things were trending really downhill for me. So that's good to hear. Happy to hear that. Uh, what an unbelievable week. Uh, check out all our content on NCA.com and, of course, all our March Madness social media handles. Um, a story that I wrote on Sunday night that get reposted on Monday. It's still up there, of course, on the week that was last week with the buzzer beater at Butler, the unbelievable Duke Carolina game, Bob Knight coming back to Indiana, first time in 20 seasons, 20 years to unite that fan base. And then the unbelievable sign of humanity that occurred between Colorado and Stanford after the injury to Oscar De Silva, Evan Batty, who is an unbelievable story himself, who was involved in the collision he had a stroke and two seizures before he even got to Colorado. A very emotional, kind-hearted individual. Just a blessing that he's even on the court. And he felt awful that uh, he inadvertently you know, collided with De Silva, who was going to be okay just with that head laceration. But he's going to be fine. And just the fact they came together, prayed together, and it was just a great sign of humanity and compassion that hopefully we can see more of, not just in the sport, but in our daily lives. So that's all available to everyone to check out. Great week ahead. Seasons keep going strong, and there are just so many positive things to embrace and wrap our hands around right now. So uh, be positive. 
go forward and appreciate it, Chad. Appreciate you and everyone listening to our podcast. That'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm Andy Katz. Thanks for listening.